time for the Vintage Truth Podcast with best-selling author and Bible teacher, Jeff Kinley. Welcome to the Vintage Truth Podcast. It's Friday and we're talking, this is Prophecy Week, which to be honest with you, next week may also be Prophecy Week. We're just, we're into prophecy here because we're living in the last days. I don't know if you know that or not. Now, whether the last days will last a year, a month, or 10 years or 100 years, we don't know, but we are certainly living in perilous times where the storm clouds are gathering around, telling us that the events of Revelation are not far off. And if that's true, then certainly the rapture cannot be far off. We don't know when, we have no idea exactly when, but we are certainly in a season. And, you know, the early church, uh, as we'll see later on, had a an expectancy of the return of Jesus. They believed Jesus Christ was going to come back for them and rescue them from the wrath that is coming, which is the tribulation period. So we're talking last time in this series called The Rapture, Hoax or Hope. Is it a just a, a false hoax or is it a holy hope for us? Is it the blessed hope? Is it really? Or is it just something that we have conveniently concocted to get us out of trouble, Right. Is, is that what the rapture is, or is it in the Bible? We talked about last time uh, the objections to the rapture, a couple of objections. I want to cover a couple more here today. But uh, the first objection we talked about was the fact that the word, the English word rapture is not in the Bible. And we blew that myth away. I mean, of course, the English word rapture is not in the Bible. The English word trinity is not in the Bible. The English word Easter or incarnation, or monotheism, or any theological terms that we have crafted that accurately describe teaching in the Bible. So just to say the English word is not in the Bible is just not, it's just a lame argument. And we talked about the Greek word harpazo that actually is in the Bible. And we'll talk more about that when we get into First Thess uh, 4, and that'll probably be on Monday. So you be sure to tune in. But the first objection is that the word rapture is not in the Bible. We talked about that. Secondly, some people say that um, that the church is like Israel and will just be protected through the tribulation, uh, just like Israel was protected through the uh, the ten plagues. And um, you know the the problem with that is is that is that nowhere in the Bible does it draw that type of parallel. And secondly, as you read the book of Revelation, unfortunately, there is no exemption clause for Christians. I mean, if you're a Christian in the tribulation period, you're going to go through these judgments. You're going to experience these judgments. You are not magically exempt from these judgments. And that's why, excuse me, in Revelation chapter 6, that's why God promises those who have been martyred and killed during the tribulation period, that they will not suffer any more of the judgments that they endured under God's wrath in the tribulation period. And so in that sense, the rain will fall on the just and the unjust uh, during the tribulation period. And that's one of the reasons why you don't want to become a Christian in the tribulation period is because you're going to go through some of those judgments. You're going to experience the 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 aftershocks, the literal aftershocks of those judgments. A third objection to the rapture is that people say that it's just a, a, a doctrine or a truth that has been conveniently created, giving Christians a way out of the horrible events of the tribulation period. 
like we're more privileged, you know, the, uh, than former believers who endured suffering and persecution. Well, here's here's the deal. Believing in the rapture in no way suggests that Christians are currently immune from hardship, prejudice, persecution, or even martyrdom. And in fact, when you think about it, Jesus himself even said that in this world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have problems. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be martyred uh, for the faith. So I think there's going to be plenty of tribulation, plenty of persecution to go around for Christians up until the tribulation period begins. So it's not an exemption clause. And and put put it this way. Never in history has there ever been a tribulation leading to Armageddon. Can, can we all just admit that? It's a day unlike any other. It's an unparalleled period of time. Nothing compares to it. So if a deliverance of believers prior to that future wrath exists, it's no more a convenient escape clause than it was for, for Noah or for Lot or for Rahab, all delivered before God's judgment fell. So history really kind of kind of bears this out. We go through tribulation, but in biblical history, God rescues his faithful before judgment, for his judgment arise. And, and the tribulation is not primarily about Christian suffering and persecution anyway. It's about God's angry wrath upon unbelieving humanity. And 1 Thess 1.10, 1 Thess 5.9 tells us that we are not destined for wrath, we'll be delivered from the wrath to come. So I don't believe that's a, a, a legitimate argument because we're going to go through trouble. Christians today are dying. We're not, we don't get out of tribulation and suffering. Are you kidding me? But God's wrath is something that he has promised to deliver his bride from. Fourth, it's also become really trendy today that uh, that only in the last few hundred years has this whole idea of the rapture existed. I got an, an angry email from someone not long ago claiming that I was teaching heresy and uh, this whole idea of the rapture was just this concocted, made-up fairy tale that only came to the forefront uh, in the past uh, hundred or so years and it's really not uh, taught in the Bible, blah, 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 right? So what's the deal about that? Well, a couple things, a couple arguments against that. Number one, whether a particular doctrine or belief is dominant throughout all of church history is not always a reliable factor in determining its validity. All right? In other words, if you want to determine whether or not a certain doctrine, a certain belief, okay, is legit, then you don't say, well, has the church always put that belief to the forefront? Has the church always championed that doctrine? And if they have always championed that doctrine, then it's legit. And that's the litmus test for whether or not a doctrine is is authentic. Well, if you're going to take that line of reasoning, then you're going to have huge, huge problems with a lot of areas. For example, salvation by grace through faith was a doctrine obviously taught by Paul attacked by many in the church, and then suffered greatly for centuries during the dominance of the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages. My friends, that's the reason, one of the main reasons, that Martin Luther in 1518 
nailed his 95 theses to the Wittenberg church door was to protest, i.e., he became a Protestant, okay? That's what we are. He became a Protestant. He protested against the fact that that doctrine was not being pushed to the forefront of the church. So if you're going to judge whether or not um, a doctrine is legit by how prominent it is, then you would conclude during the Middle Ages that that salvation by grace through faith is not a legitimate doctrine. And then when Martin Luther introduced it again, yeah, it was just some new doctrine you're introducing, Martin. Well, this is Johnny-come-lately belief, you know. We don't believe in that stuff, right? That's ridiculous. So that's a bogus, bogus argument. Now, regarding the rapture, you may be surprised to know that belief in a pre-tribulational deliverance in other words, that we are raptured before the tribulation, can be found in church church history as early as the 4th century, documented. Further, the Didache, which is a 1st century teaching document, was also considered uh, authoritative, not, not, not on the level with Scripture, but it, but, it, but it was the teaching of the apostles. And it considered the Lord's coming as an event that could occur at any time. The early church fathers, first and second centuries, and of course later the reformers often linked the events of the great tribulation with contemporary events of their day, therefore maintaining that same spirit of expectancy. And then of course, you go back to the New Testament, which really is where we go if we want to find out if a doctrine is true or not. I don't really care what's been happening in the church. I don't care because the church is the church's history is bloody and scarred and stained and very erratic. We've run hot and we've run cold. But I'll tell you something. If you want to know what the, what the Bible teaches about a certain doctrine, you got to go to the Bible. You can't just look at church history, right? So the rapture is a, a doctrine that we see not only in the early church fathers, but also all the way back to the first century in the New Testament. So, to argue that the belief in the rapture is a recent idea is both historically unsupportable and biblically inaccurate. And then secondly, the articulation and understanding of many historic beliefs that we have, they have been refined over the past 2,000 years. And the reason for this is due to the rise of heretical beliefs and practices. For example, the Judaizers' false teaching in Paul's epistles forced Paul to confront and correct their heresies and then to articulate more clearly the doctrines of grace and liberty, for, for example, for the Galatians. And so sometimes when false beliefs about the end times come up, we are forced to say, no, no, no. This is what the Bible says. And we have to go back always to the Bible. You know, in the second century, there was a bishop's son named Marcion. And he became known in the church at Rome for rejecting the God of the Old Testament because of his wrath. He didn't like the God of the Old Testament because he was a mean God. And so Marcion excluded from his personal teaching anything perceived as negative. For example, hell, judgment, that kind of thing because he believed these things didn't belong in Scripture. As a result, he was soundly condemned by the church fathers. Baptismal regeneration is another one. 
the belief that baptism somehow magically assists salvation and cleansing from sin also crept into the church through some of the apocryphal writings, the Epistle of Barnabas, the Shepherd of Hermas, and even in some of the church fathers themselves. And this continued throughout the Catholic Church in, in the Middle Ages. And that was another reason why Martin Luther wanted to reform the church. He was a reformer, but the church refused, forcing Luther to break away, choosing biblical truth over Catholic tradition. Others joined him, and the purity of the church for a long time was rescued in that area. So it's not surprising that throughout churches, the church's messy history, certain interpretations of Scripture and doctrine could be described as recent in context of their day. However, none of these are considered to be new revelation, but instead they provide a more complete understanding of existing biblical revelation and prophetic passages. The early church called it the blessed hope. We call it the rapture and the blessed hope. It's just a word that we use to describe something. In, uh, in scripture. And I think one other area, just to mention real quickly, is that you would expect there to be a doctrine regarding the end times, i.e. the rapture, to rise to the surface more prominently during the time of its potential fulfillment, during the actual time of its potential fulfillment. I think one of the reasons why we're seeing so much emphasis put on the end times today is because we look around us and everyone sees we're in the end times. I mean, 41% of secular Americans understand that we're in the end times. They say we believe that we're living in the end times as described in the Bible. 77% of evangelicals, according to Barna Research. And so it's natural in light of the times we live that the prof- that prophecy and the rapture would be highlighted. So, when we ask ourselves, is the rapture really a dominant subject throughout every stage of church history? That's really not a legitimate question. The question is, in any time of history, what does the Bible say? Because we have to appeal to a higher authority than some blogger or some author or some teacher or preacher or theologian or some denomination. The question is, what does the Bible say? Is it taught in the word of God? And my friends, those are some of the objections that people have to the rapture. And as we've seen, they're not legit. I mean, we have to understand that God has spoken. And as Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, he wants us to know. He does not want us to to be ignorant. And, And again, the question is, if there's going to be a tribulation on planet Earth, don't you want to know if you're going to go through it? I mean, that's kind of smart, right? If some if someone says, hey, there's going to be tornadoes in our state today, or there's going to be a hurricane coming in our state, don't you want to know if your city is going to be affected? Don't you want to know that? I mean, just want to look on the map, get on the little app on your Twitter feed and, and look at the radar and to see where the storm is coming. I mean, that makes perfect sense. That's what logical people do. And that's what we ask ourselves regarding the rapture. So will the bride of Christ be subjected to this hell on earth, this coming hell on earth for seven years, or will she be rescued prior to it? So that's really the question we have to ask ourselves. Now, there are several key passages, I believe, that speak to this. And I think that the the churches in Revelation 
I believe those churches really are representative of the church as a whole. I don't think it's just a historical documentation of these seven churches, but as you look at those churches, you see the church today. I mean, Revelation 2 and 3, if you want to see what's going on in America today, for example, read Revelation 2 and 3, and it'd be like holding up a mirror to the church that we can truly see ourselves. And I believe when Jesus Christ spoke to the church at Philadelphia in Revelation 3.10, he says, I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Now, I think that these these chapters, in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, really foreshadow the church in the last days. And Jesus says here he's going to keep the church from the hour of testing. He didn't say, I want to keep you during the hour of testing. And, and contextually here, he's talking about the tribulation period. There's a world of difference between being kept in our trials, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? We're in the fire, but the fire didn't hurt us. And being kept from the trials, the fire didn't even come. For five years, we, uh, we lived on the Gulf Coast, and uh, we weathered through about five hurricanes on the Gulf Coast down there in Mobile. One of them was a hurricane called Hurricane Danny. It was in 1997. It caused more than $100 million in damages, dropping a record amount of rainfall on the Gulf Coast region. Now, to say that we rode out that storm means that we were kept in the storm. We were kept through the hour of the storm, okay? And we did that. We, we hunkered down and we boarded up the windows. I just said, hey, well, we're not leaving. So we, we stayed there and we survived. Lots of trees fell on, on our property, but we survived. That's being kept in or being kept through something. But if we said that we evacuated and left town, then we would be kept from the storm, missing it completely. And as you look at the book of Revelation, as described in, in, this, in chapters 4 through 18, the word church, ecclesia, called out ones, or churches, is found 20 times in the whole book of Revelation. 19 of those references are in Revelation 1 through 3, before the tribulation. And one reference is to the church in Revelation chapter 22. But watch this. There is zero mention of the church for 15 chapters during the time which God unleashes his wrath. Not until chapter 19 do we pictorially see the bride reappearing on the scene, coming from heaven with Jesus Christ at his second coming. I think this is compelling evidence for the church's absence during the tribulation and further confirmation of the rapture. You see, Jesus promises to keep the church from the hour of tribulation. And so I think it's clear from Christ's promise to us and from Paul's prophecies that we're going to see on Monday that the church is going to be rescued. But how is that going to happen? What does the rapture look like? If we could slow the rapture down, you know, like these, like the slow-mo guys on YouTube, great channel, by the way. If we could just put, put a high-speed camera on the rapture, what would it look like? I'm going to tell you exactly what it looks like on Monday on the Vintage Truth Podcast. You guys have a great weekend. 
And by the way, Christ is coming back. Make sure you're ready for him. God bless. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Truth Podcast. Please subscribe and share with a friend. For more about Jeff's ministry, go to jeffkinley.com.